HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And, you know, a lot of things have changed in Italy. The food, uh, not the culture, obviously. But there's, you know, it's modern like everything else is modern. One thing, however, that hasn't changed is the food of the feasts and the feast days. And joining me today to talk about these feast days, or at least as many as we can pack in in our short time, is Judy Francini. And Judy Witz Francini is um, a, an Italian-based food writer and culinary tour guide and a cook and a cooking teacher. She has been living in Tuscany for 30 years. And in 1988, she began teaching cooking and started Divina Cucina, her cooking classes and cooking school to share her secrets of Tuscan cooking, or the secrets of Tuscan cooking. And more than that, Judy shares her knowledge of the history and the culture, and it's, it just gets rave reviews from anyone who goes over to Tuscany to, uh, to learn and cook with Judy. And she has a new book out called Divina Cucina's Recipes, Secrets from My Tuscan Kitchen, and she has a travel app called Chianti, food and wine. Judy, I'm so happy that you can join me in the studio today. Thank you, Linda. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Well, you've been traveling all around the U.S. on this short vacation that you have. It's sort of a, you know, a busman's holiday. You've been working the whole time you've been here, but I hope that you've been having fun, too. Well, it's, um, it's really not work. I know it's funny because people, when they look at you on Facebook and Instagram, they see all these pictures. And when you're in food, it's not always work. But I try to share the experience of, of where I am and what I'm doing, so... Great. Well, tell me, um, you just recently um, got back from Sicily, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And you got to experience the San Giuseppe Festival firsthand. It's it's really great. Well, number one, I'm not Italian. I'm not Italian-American. My, my family is like French, Russian, all sorts of things. 
But I ended up in Italy, and, uh, and I've just embraced these festivals because, as you know, the celebrations with food around festivals is incredible. And San Giuseppe is St. Joseph's Day, which in Italy is Father's Day, which is the, one of the most important holidays that there is. And especially in Sicily, they do these altars to San Giuseppe with decorations made of bread and food, hmm. uh, cooked items to feed like the, the poor of the village. And we, um, I based myself out of Memphi, which is um, at the Planeta Winery. It's got a lovely little estate, a tiny little village. Uh, and I, I found that in this region, it was where there was Gibellina and Salemi and um, Poggio de Alli, where there was the earthquake in 1966. Ah, yeah. And so many of those people moved to America. And a lot of the people, that's considered like a Palermo region, fishing villages, went to New Orleans, went to Kansas City. And, and brought their traditions with them there. And, they, and in New York, you also do the um, St. Joseph tables. They're very, mm-hmm. very big. And it's more of a Sicilian thing, not the Napolitani. And the tables we were at were just amazing. The passion, the love the women put into de- these decorations. Amazing. Uh, and when you mentioned you, you based yourself in the small village of Menfi, it's interesting. The, the, the festivals and the, the saints' days, the feast days, they're always so much more colorful and they celebrate more I think uh, traditionally and vividly in a lot of the small towns it's it's deeper I think it's deeper ingrained into them and and it's an event because you don't just like bake today for tomorrow these women are doing these intricate intricate decorations and um, uh, I don't know where your family's from but the I'm not Italian okay good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the original Fig Newton came from Sicily it was it's a Bucciolati or Cucciatedi is a, a large. Cucciatedi, I've, I've, okay, I've heard a lot of. Yeah, Christmas so, time, especially. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a two lay. It's a lard based cookie dough with cooked figs with candied orange rind. Um, my assistant Erica, her mother is Sicilian, and we've made them last year together. And then with razor blades, they actually cut through and make designs. Oh, beautiful. in these cookies, so you get very decorative. Here, I've seen they're just like usually a glaze and sprinkles. Yeah, but you could do a razor blade and do designs with them. So that's a base for Christmas cookies with this fig paste and for this um, St. Joseph's Day they do um, a bottom layer put the fig spread in put another layer on top and then do that cut out lace work with the dough wow so you've got giant hearts you've got a peacock symbol and it and it's breathtaking huh. and then they hang them huge pieces as decorations <laughs> well, there are, there are a lot of sweets that are associated with uh, St. Joseph's Day, mm-hmm. aside from the bread, the, the, the fancy sp- breads, right? We're in right. Sicily called Sfince, Zeppoli in uh, Naples, I believe. Usually they're fried. Everything's fried for holiday. And then you have the ricotta-based ones, the cream-based ones. Um, where I was, it's more of a like a, a cream puff, uh, but a dough ball that's hmm. just with sugar, not filled, instead of the the patashu, the cream puff dough pa- piped out into a ring or baked or deep fried. Okay, we went right to dessert. <laughs> Sorry, I was a pastry <laughs> chef. <laughs> oh, right. I, well, I was going to get into your background you know, uh, later yeah. in the show, but we can we can mention that now that you've brought it up, uh-huh. that you started out your career as a pastry chef in, yeah. in San Francisco before you moved to, uh, yeah, to I, Italy. Yeah, I found, right? um, I, I traveled a lot since I got out of high school, and I always found myself, if I needed to do something make money while I was working, you could always wash dishes, wait, wait tables, something with food, peel eggplant. I think I've done everything. And so when I decided I, I wanted a job that would allow me to travel, I thought about working in a hotel, like front house. And then I thought, 
you have to deal with clients. That was just too much. <laughs> and so they went into the kitchen. And back when I started in the late 70s, it was a male-based uh, kind of French kitchen. All that yelling and screaming. And yeah. I didn't like that. But if you were in the pastry department, people needed you. And that was a job where you could work your way up. So I was very not unlike lucky. today, really. I mean, yeah. it's it's still pretty much you know, that way today. Yeah. So it was a it was a good start, and then I came to Europe for my you know last hurrah mm-hmm. in uh, 1984. About a one way ticket. I had two thousand dollars on one way ticket, and I did a month in France and a month in Italy because I had never been to Italy. So I took a month of Italian. But in France, I went to Paris. I could have worked at La Varenne. I um, I talked you know the Paul I was friends with from the hotel. And in Nice, Roger Verger, I'd already done his mm. cooking school in the Moulin de Mouchon. He was opening a new school in Nice. I studied French for 14 years. And I knew that's where I was going to go, that I wouldn't like Italy or wouldn't like Italians because they're always yelling and screaming. And I came to Florence, and I studied Italian for a month, and I ran out of money, and I just couldn't leave. That was, that <laughs> Not was because it. you ran out of money. <laughs> I, was, I loved it. I loved it. And so um, I stayed illegally, <laughs> yeah. you know, for like three years. But you know, I got a job, and... And then you fell in love with and, yeah. your husband. And he's fun. The rest is history. Yeah. Right? But, but the, most people think I stayed because of a, a man. But I stayed because I fell in love with a city. It was very similar to San Francisco, where I'm from. Uh, very art-based and culture-based in the Renaissance. And then I met a guy, so it makes it easier. But yeah. Well, and you, um, I remember reading you also, you have a background in art history before mm-hmm. you decided yeah. to go into yeah. food, right? So, but What are you going to do with that? Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know about that yeah. one, right? <laughs> well, that, that, of course, answers the question of what have you been doing in Italy for 30 years and why are you in Italy? So that, that pretty much answers that. Mm-hmm. And through all that time, you've gotten to know a lot of the culture and the tradition and the background. And and I decided, well, to give this our, his, the historical twist that I, I like to do um, with my shows, I thought the feast day, since you had just, you know, we had talked about this before the show, that you had just, mm-hmm. you know, observed the San Giuseppe. Um, what about some of the other feast days? There are some interesting ones. Um, you, you, yeah, because some of them are religious-based, which mm-hmm. are, are the base of everything. Um I have a f- several favorites, personal favorites. Uh, Sant'Antonio, which is not St. Anthony of the Lost Things, but St. Anthony the Abbot, is uh, January 17th, I believe. And he's always, uh, from my Catholic school days, I love holy <laughs> cards and all that, he's pictured um, with a stick in his hand, standing with a cow and a pig at his feet. And he's the patron saint of farm animals. And on his patron saint's day, which is in the middle of winter, is when you kill your family pig to make the prosciutto. And this is from days of no refrigeration. So you would kill the pig, salt the pig, hang it up, and by the time the weather started to change, you would then get the heat that would actually dry it more. And it was all done um, in the home. I remember, I'm, I haven't been in Italy that long. I remember like 10 years ago, going to my neighbor in the countryside, and I saw he had a pig. So I stopped to ask him, when are you going to kill your pig? <laughs> and uh, can I see your salamis and prosciuttos? And he took me up to the guest room, which was the pig aging room. And it was like the guest room in their house. That it was, was upstairs. Right? It was upstairs yeah. in the house, facing south, windows open, and on your uh, wardrobe hanging Ikea kind of armada thing, yeah. rack, he's got prosciuttos hanging. And, you know, a pig has two rear ends and two front ends. So the rear ends are the prosciuttos and the front ends are the spalla, the shoulders. And they're hanging up there. That's how. That's what I did. One pig. That fed his family for the year. <laughs> what I love is that is that they would have killed the pig in January anyway because that's when you 
But you know, it's cold. You slaughter, you know, during cold weather. Right. The fact that then it's associated with a patron saint, (laughs) you know. But also, I found there's recipes. um, The old recipes where people didn't read or write. You would um, beat a recipe for like three Hail Marys. Huh. Interesting. So, uh, if the calendar has always been a sign of when to do things, right? But um, oh, even in pagan times, I mean, pre exactly pre Christian era, and that it was. It was according to the seasons, right? Yeah, exactly. And the th- one of the things that happened that's come out of that also is um, obviously all your pigs aren't going to make it. If you have to kill a pig in the summer, you can't make prosciutto. It's too hot. The way they do it, it's too yeah. hot. They have another technique. I worked with Dario Cecchini, the crazy butcher in Panzano. Mm-hmm. He has tonno di Chianti, the tuna of Chianti, not being anywhere near the water. Um, this old recipe was from a man of Gaioli and Chianti, and the recipe had disappeared. And Dario asked the son of the butcher for it because he wasn't making it anymore. And you would salt your your ham, fresh ham, that you would get in the summer, draw the liquids out of it like you would for a prosciutto, but then it would be boiled in wine and packed in olive oil. Oh, interesting. And it tastes like tuna. Huh. And he serves tuna and beans, but it's pork. Wow. It's really beautiful. And in Liguria, they do the same thing with rabbits. And it's tuna, rabbit tuna. Yeah. Because fishermen don't eat fish. Interesting. They eat rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bunnies. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh, so St. Anthony's Day, that's January, and that's so that's pork. That's slaughtering the pork. Mm-hmm. Um, then March, we have St. Joseph's. No, of course. Okay. Yes. Then we have Easter, and Easter Monday. That's fine. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Everybody does that. And then we start getting uh, in the summer, like but special foods. I mean, there are special, you know. It's, and again, it's all according seasonal. to the season. It's all seasonal. I was just in Sicily, and it was perfect time artichoke season, and they had the mm. artichoke festivals. And we were lucky enough to find um, artichokes being uh, charcoal cooked outside the market in Catania. The guy just took a, a here. It would be like a one of those gas can thing, tin container, drum, oil drum, oil drums. Yeah. He put it together with coals, real coal, and then uh, to put these giant artichokes in there and opened them up and put parsley and garlic. And in a giant water bottle, had mixed olive oil and water with salt and cut a hole in the plastic top. And he would just squeeze that in from the top into the center of the artichoke. And then he covered it with, like, butcher's paper. Hmm. And so the heat was coming from the bottom. Steam they were steaming, the top, and he yeah. was holding the steam in. And then he took that off, added more water, kept cooking, and then... He took the artichokes off, pulled off the little few burnt leaves on the outside, and we had these beautiful steamed artichokes just pulling off the leaves oh, right there at the wonderful, market. Wonderful. It was, And there are villages then that celebrate that, and I've seen that on, like, Andrew Zimmerman show and stuff, that the artichoke festival, and they have fried artichokes, and they're making candied artichokes now, everything. Well, that's a, and that was another thing that I wanted to talk about, the sagra. There are uh-huh. tons of sagra whenever anything comes into season, right? If it's chestnuts, if mm-hmm. it's... Um, um, artichokes or, you know, whatever comes into season, there's a festival to celebrate it. I'm very lucky because where I live, I live in a a strip of land that's very fertile, and it's um, saffron and truffles. Wow, that's, and from that's, medi- pretty, and from, that's pretty nice. And from medieval <laughs> times, the saffron was really from San Gimignano in that area. And so um, once I was gifted saffron bulbs as a hostess gift, it was mm. really lovely. But um, where we live, we have truffles every season. 
there's truffles all year round. The precious ones are the white truffles. But there's a summer truffle, there's a spring truffle. And so any time of the year you can go truffle hunting. And like I said, I'm very lucky because my assistant's father is a truffle hunter. So um, when I was just leaving now, as a fundraiser, the swim team throws a truffle party. And it's in a big building, like a community church center. And you go, and it's a truffle dinner, probably about five or six courses for like $30. And it's made by all the locals, so it's you know pasta and crostini and truffles with mushrooms and truffles with meat and truffles like this and truffles like that and truffles. It was just it it's so exquisite, and they're like two hundred people at a time for these meals. Amazing! And it's it's yeah. so much fun to be in a in a village for a festival for a celebration. Um, when I organize my culinary tours, I love to do it around the festival, and you know I'm not really religious, but seeing these people carrying the statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary and she's covered in gold chains that they donated to her on their shoulders and up and down hills and the people just following. It's, it gives you goosebumps. It's yeah. just fabulous. Well, and I'm sure it gives them, you know, a, a sense of structure, too, that mm-hmm. it gives, you know, for their lives. And very important. And I, and I love the idea that, that food is all part of it, you know, that mm-hmm. food and the seasons are part of it. Um, there is a particular festival I read about in Florence, and you lived in Florence. From, you're in, in Chianti uh-huh. now, but yeah. um, you lived in Florence for many years. The Festa del Grillo. Oh, I was going to tell you about that. Oh, were you? I was going to tell you because it's after Easter. It's the. I had never uh, heard of it before. Oh, it's uh, in the park of the Cascini Park, and it's the cricket festival. And when I first moved there, um, I would always go because they would. uh, It's like bringing you good luck in springtime, and they would people little farmers in the countryside would go and catch crickets, and bring them in and on mulberry leaves or something, and they would hand make little cages. And uh, then they would you buy your little cage, and they'd put a cricket in it. And so in your house, you have not for consumption, not a fried. I was going to say (laughs) it wasn't a food festival, so I didn't know if we'd talk about it. We're not eating crickets. Well, that's what I want. I I had not heard of it, so that's why I wasn't. It's a very Florentine festival. I don't think the Italians eat fried crickets, but you never know. (laughs) Not yet. You know, if if, uh, anybody else has anything to do with it, we all will be eating crickets and ants for (laughs) breakfast. That's right. That's right. They're not bad. I've had them in Spain. I love them. I'm Mexico. there, yeah. I've had them actually years and years ago. That, you know, people, someone brought them back, and I said, "Tasted them. It was a salty snack. I tasted yeah. okay. Salt, <laughs> it tasted good. good. Yeah. Um, of course, in New York, where we're located, we have um, the San Gennaro Festival, and in, that's based yeah. out of Naples traditionally. Yeah, and then so what are the, what are the traditional foods? Are there, is there anything special about? You know, in San Gennaro in um, in Naples, it's totally religious. Uh, it's not food related. No, no. no. They go to the church, and he's one of those miracle saints. They have a container of his blood. And on that holiday, they bring the container out, and it goes from, if it's going to be a good year, it goes from solid to liquid. Hmm. And they just brought the Pope to Naples and um, presented it out of season to the Pope, and it started to melt, and that was a good thing. It means he's a good Pope (laughs) because the miracle started to happen. Uh, Anything special about any of the other saints' feast days, or like a particular food that you can that comes to mind? Well, again, I have to tell you, Sicily is like it's, Naples and Sicily are like the best. The but, feast, the feast but places. Sicily, <laughs> I think also maybe because it's still so isolated. Hmm. Um, because I was a pastry chef, I love the desserts, and I'm always interested in the history of desserts. Most of the fabulous pastries in Sicily um, were and kind of still are made in the cloisters right. by the nuns. 
I mean, champagne was invented by Dom Perignon. They had nothing to do. They invented fabulous things. <clears throat> Originally, the marzipan fruit was made to decorate the trees in winter for a visiting a noble person to the convent. And it was naked, so they created all these little fruits and hung them up on the trees to make it look like a, a beautiful garden. And still today, all those almond-based, handmade, beautiful little fruits are um, were the convent. Now they're commercial. Do you know the story about Maria Grammatica, the bitter almonds book? Oh, yeah. That Maria yeah, yeah, yeah. Simonetti right. wrote, the American woman wrote that. Well, I just, um, she's now teaching classes hmm. and has a beautiful space. So we just did a workshop with Maria Grammatica and her class. And she still hand makes a lot of them because she was given to the convent when she was young, she and her sister. And she decided not to become a nun and came out and opened up a pastry shop. So she makes all these beautiful desserts. So she still does them by hand. There's little forms you can buy to go with them hand painting everything but then there's also several regions in Italy have um, body part desserts yes. and my favorite ones are the boobs so um, St. Agatha Petit di non Petit di the, the, Monica, the, the Monica, yeah. right the, the, or the yeah. virgin or the virgin right. so um, the Catania's patron saint is St. Agatha and she was you become a saint because you were tortured or martyred and she had her boobs pulled off and they have what is basically a little cassata cake that is a glazed in white and with a little cherry nipple. And so those are the, 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 the Pope di Sant'Agatha. And then they have, like, the where I am outside of Memphis and up in a village of Sambuca di Sicilia, they have the Mine della Vergine, little virgin boobs, and it's a pie crust shaped like a boob with little sprinkles on top, and the inside is a milk custard with a Thanks for listening to this episode of A Taste of the Past. Hope you'll join us again next week, Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, as always on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org.